Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 65 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. I'm gearing up to start my queen rearing program at the end of this month and so I thought I'd go over my selection criteria and maybe this year we'll get some fantastic new queens. Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. There's an old beekeeping saying that goes something like this. A swarm in May is worth a load of hay. A swarm in June is worth a silver spoon. And a swarm in July isn't worth a fly. I guess the meaning of the proverb is the earlier the swarm, the more productive they can be. That's not to say that July swarms can't be built up and be ready for the following spring, but May swarms can easily grow into full-sized colonies and give a super of honey if everything falls into place. Thinking back to the proverb and swarms in May, I think I'm going to need a barn to put all that hay in because my bees have really been going for it this spring. I'm not complaining though, I've managed to either split colonies or collect swarms and have reached my target number of colonies for the year with plenty of time still to come, so it's currently looking quite positive. It would be easy to get pessimistic with all the posts by beekeepers proclaiming that they're having their best spring ever with no swarming and more honey than they've ever seen before, but just remind yourself that these are the exception, and if you've seen my latest videos on Patreon, you'll see how things can quickly go sideways. I had a lot of good intentions for a bumper spring honey crop and certainly the bees on the oilseed rape have been doing a fine job. It's just that they also decided they wanted to take advantage of the early windfall of resources and get their reproduction in early and who can blame them? Those swarms now have a really good chance of building up strongly to see out the winter to come. I can't believe I've just said winter already. Oh well, always looking forward. And that brings me on to today's topic of my queen rearing plans for this year and how I intend to select my colonies firstly for the queen mother colony. That's the donor colony that will supply the young larvae that will become the new queens. And then the equally important colonies that will supply the drones to mate with those newly emerged virgin queens. I've got quite a number of queen rearing books now. Some of them are really quite old, but my two favourite books for queen rearing are David Woodward's Queen Bee Biology Rearing and Breeding, and that's my go-to book when I need to remind myself what the heck I'm supposed to be doing. And the second book is a relatively new book by a gent called Joe Widdicombe, and that's called The Principles of Bee Improvement. And I particularly like the simple five qualities for selection that are used in the book from the Bee Improvement Programme for Cornwall, or BIPCO for short. I'll leave full details of the two books in the podcast notes beneath the podcast on my Patreon page if you'd like to take a look at them. Looking back at my experiences this year so far, they haven't much differed from other years in that colonies will swarm but it's been the cocktail of that very mild winter the early warm spring weather followed by a rather chilly period in early may that we're just coming out of i think all of this has helped the bees decide to swarm and regardless of how many swarm cells i removed the bees were building them up again faster than i could tear them down the result has been quite frantic to be honest like i said it's a positive outcome for me though 
as I'm now filling brood boxes and nukes with bees I would otherwise have waited to sort later in the season. But it's time for me to start considering exactly which colonies I want to use for my queen rearing, and for that keeping good inspection records is vital. Now remember, these records are for your own use. They don't have to comply with any rules regarding what you record. They just have to make sense to you when you look back at them, and they need to help you make informed decisions about how you move forward with your beekeeping. My records are kept on a spreadsheet, but I've actually gone back to writing them down on paper while I'm inspecting and then converting them back onto a computer spreadsheet later. I have a range of criteria that helps me assess the colony so I can decide if they're a breeding colony, a colony that's really productive, maybe it needs requeening, or maybe it has disease. Let me tell you what my inspection record headers are and explain how I record the data. Here are my inspection sheet headers. The easy ones first, the queen. It's a simple yes or no for no particular reason other than I like to know if I've seen her. Eggs, again, yes or no. This one is far more important and can help identify a healthy queen right colony, a swarmed colony, perhaps a queen on a brood break, something along those lines, so it's really worth having. Brood in all stages. I record the number of frames with brood in all stages. Some people refer to it as bias. So if you hear that term bandied around at the next club meeting, you'll know what it means. It's basically the number of frames with brood from just emerged larvae to those about to be fully capped. Each side of the frame is half a point, so six full frames and one side of the seventh would be six and a half frames of bias. Next is temper. This one's quite important, I guess, to most people. I rate the next four criteria as one to five, one being very poor and five being excellent. So temper, one is the bees are actively trying to sting me or have actually stung me. Five is the bees are ignoring me completely. Running. When you pick out a frame, do the bees charge around like the proverbial headless chickens or are they picture perfect still on the comb? One means they run to a corner of the frame and form a large clump which then drops off, hopefully back into the brood box, but occasionally over your boots. Whereas five is that bees are barely moving around on the comb that you're holding. Disease. Now I'm not going to breed sickly bees deliberately, so it's another important measure to take. One is terrible. Bees are very poorly, maybe full of chalk brood or something worse. Whereas five is a clean bill of health. And remember, we're looking at both the brood and the adult bees here. To breed from one of my colonies, they must be a five. Next is the last of the direct assessments, brood pattern. Is the brood nicely in the frame as it should be? A great big slab of worker brood, very few open cells contained within that big slab of sealed brood, no odd drone cells popping up in the middle of the frames, a nice seam of stores, pollen and honey set around the top of the frame, arching across the brood area. Now that type of brood gets a five in my book. Spotty brood, clumps of drone brood all over the frame, poor levels of supplies in frames, all these things work to reduce that five down to a one. So those are my major rankings, but as I inspect, I'm also looking at the general colour of the workers and drones. Although I don't record the colour, I do take note and select for the darker coloured bees. 
I finally give the colony a ranking score, currently A, B or C. It allows me a quick view on what my general feelings are regarding the potential of that specific colony. An A rating as a colony I would consider one of my better colonies, and a C rating is one I would be looking to requeen. I did have A to E ranking structures, but that simply became A, B or C as a natural evolution. It was just a little bit too complicated having five options. But remember, these are your records, or in this case, my records, and as such, you can change them how you see fit. Just remember that once you start to record the data, stick with those data sets that you've decided upon, or it can become quite confusing. After the ranking score, I have a comment section where I can scribble the odd note or two, something like swarmed or sack brood times two cells. Just comments to jog my memory for the next inspection. I'll be using these records to then subsequently select for my queen rearing, so bear that in mind if you're thinking of doing some queen rearing. There's no point in keeping separate records for inspections and queen rearing criteria. The same records will be perfectly adequate for most of us, perhaps with one or two tweaks along the way. I want to just refer back to Joe Widdicombe's book and the BIPCO qualities for assessment. They are native appearance, temper, low swarming, health, brood pattern, and finally, productivity. These assessment criteria are really not too different to what I'm already doing, and I'm sure a lot of beekeepers out there already. I'm not really doing anything terribly new or groundbreaking here. I think the interesting criteria is native appearance. For those of you who don't know, Joe Widdicombe has been involved with the UK's BIBA organisation and the BIPCO group, and they're trying to get back to stocks of near-native Apis mellifera mellifera, and thus the native appearance is an important and easily recognisable feature that can be selected for. BIPCO stands for the Bee Improvement Programme for Cornwall. As a wannabe bee farmer producing barrel loads of honey, I need to have production at the forefront of my mind. Here, the simplest thing to do would be to buy in so-called buckfast-type bees from isolation apiaries in Denmark, as these tick pretty much all of the boxes for a bee farmer. High productivity, calmness, low swarminess. Is that even a word, swarminess? Anyway, low levels of swarming. You get what I mean. Why bother to produce your own queens when someone else is doing a far better job at it than me? Well, the major spanner in the works is cost, of course. At something like £40 minimum and rising close to £80, it's financially going to be a significant investment. Add to this that every couple of years those queens will need replacing and you're back on a treadmill of heavy investment. That and the fact that I really do want to breed my own near-native queens are the two factors holding me back. The drive to high levels of honey production and low levels of swarming feel almost like going down to the local fitness gym for me. I'm the scrawny stick of a bodybuilder trying to pick up a 10 kilo barbell while the big boys are pumping iron like they're entering Mr Universe. But here's the rub. While I'm in there with my skinny legs doing some 10 kilo barbells, some of those bodybuilders are hiding in the corners gaining advantages through much darker means, steroids and the like. And if you look on social media, you'll see all manner of what appears to be testosterone fueled statements of my hive is the biggest ever, and wow, just look at the 10th super going on to my bees, and they've never swarmed once. 
That's not to say, of course, these colonies don't happen. They do. But if you're running 500 colonies and one of them gives you F1 vigour for a season, it doesn't make you a champion beekeeper. Or if you haven't put the work in yourself and raised your own queens, but bought them in from someone else's stock, well, then again, you're kind of standing in front of the gym mirror, flexing your muscles at yourself and looking over your shoulder to see who's looking. What I'm trying to say here, probably not very eloquently, is if you buy in new queens every couple of years that are pre-selected to produce honey and to be non-swarming, then you're bound to produce higher level outputs than someone dealing with swarmy, open-mated local bees. The only way to get better is to improve your own stocks, and that's what this whole selection process is about. Right, so I think I've convinced myself. Let's get back on track and produce some of our own very special bees. The satisfaction is going to be huge. I've taken my selection criteria and added the native appearance category, the reason being it's the easiest way to identify consistency. I have colonies that are predominantly dark, some mostly light, but for the most part a mix of stripy bees. I sat down last night and went through all of my current records to see what colonies are currently coming out on top, excluding the native appearance criteria. I've not included that yet, that's for next week's inspections. Out of all of my colonies, and not including any splits or swarms, so colonies that have overwintered and are doing okay, I have a final selection of just five colonies from around well, just over 60. The next step is to make my final selection for the queen mother colony, that's the one that will provide the young larvae for grafting, and the rest will probably go down to drone production. I do have a number of colonies that are not in this final selection group, but have very dark drones, so I'll probably select some of those as well for the mating apiary. My plan is to move the queen-rearing colonies back from the oilseed rape to my queen-rearing apiary over the next couple of weeks and get set up ready to start queen-rearing at the end of the month. First, I need to get back into that apiary and cut back the brambles, though. It's become really overgrown. I'll be producing a series of videos showing the process of setting up the queen-rearing apiary and all the queen-rearing techniques that I'll be using, the successes and the failures as we go through the coming months. So do join me on my Patreon page to see how it all goes. If you do have any questions about the queen-rearing selection process or questions relating to beekeeping in general, please do pop over to my Patreon page and drop me a message. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Yeah.